Unpacked, where we discuss the pull of the past every week. I'm your host, Allison Treat. I'm an author of historical fiction and a freelance editor. Welcome to my show. Hello, readers, and welcome back to Historical Fiction Unpacked. Um, I decided to record this intro, and my neighbor decided to mow the lawn at the same time. So I hope that you guys can't hear that sound in the background. But if you can, oh, well, my apologies. This is the life of a podcaster. Today, I'm going to share with you an interview with Lori Banov Kaufman. Um, I really loved talking to her. You may have heard of her book. It's called Rebel Daughter. It released in February, February 9th, 2021. Lori is an author and mother of four living in Israel. And today, the day that this podcast released, she is going to be in a live event, a live Zoom event through her library in Israel. And you can join it if you go to the link in my show notes. Now, if you're listening to this later, you obviously can't Guys, every time I try to record, my children run by the door. This is the reality of podcasting in the summertime. Um, my kids keep like yelling and running by the door when I'm in the middle of podcasting. So my apologies for the background noise between the lawnmower and my children who are home from school. But anyway, if if you're listening to this podcast on the day it releases, Thursday, July 15th, you can go and catch the live event from Lori's library, and she'll be talking about the story that is presented in this book. So that takes place Thursday, July 15th at 12.30 p.m. in Eastern Time in the U.S. Um, I think it's 7.30 p.m. in Israel. So just follow the link in the show notes to get to that. If you are listening to this podcast in the future, not the day it released, um, you can still get to that recording. It will be, you can watch it after the fact as well. It will still be available. So I'm sure that will be really exciting. Now, the reason that they are um, presenting this today and the reason that I'm releasing this podcast today is because this weekend is the Jewish day of mourning called Tisha B'Av. Um, it's a day that basically means the ninth of Av, and it's an annual fast day in Judaism. A number of disasters in Jewish history occurred on this day, including the destruction of the second temple by the Roman Empire in Jerusalem. Um, and that is something that occurs in Lori's book. So without further ado, let me present to you my interview with Lori Benoff Kaufman, which was recorded while my children were still in school, and therefore it is free of background noise. Lori, I'm so glad you could join me on the show today. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Your novel, Rebel Daughter, released in February and has been receiving accolades, wonderful reviews. Um, in fact, since we set up this interview, I saw it on the shelf at Barnes & Noble, which oh. is no small thing. Um, <laughs> can you tell me about this book? Sure. It's a historical novel um, about a young woman who lived in uh, first century Jerusalem. She was captured after the destruction of Jerusalem and the second temple in the first century, sold as a slave in Rome, 
which was the fate of all the survivors uh-huh. of the destruction of Jerusalem. And right. she was freed by her owner who fell in love with her. And what's interesting about the story is that it's a true story. Um, and I can tell you about how I know about all that, but uh, yeah. that's the, the basic outline. And it uh, brings to life the first century, first century Jerusalem and first century Rome. And there's a story about faith, forbidden love, courage, and family. So there's a lot in here. Yeah, it sounds wonderful. Um, So tell me about your inspiration. I read a little bit about what inspired you to write this, but I want to hear it in your words. Okay. Well, it was the story is based on an amazing archaeological discovery. There was a 2,000-year-old gravestone of a Jewish woman buried in Italy. And Mm. um, the epitaph on this gravestone told the woman's life story. And it was just a few lines, but scholars could infer quite a lot from what was written. And that was the inspiration. Um, Her owner, who was a Roman freedman, put up this gravestone to uh, his freed slave, and he loved her. And I, I heard about this gravestone. Um, and I was just so fascinated and curious. How did yeah. a Jewish woman and a Roman whose peoples were fierce enemies at the time fall in love? Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to know so much about that, about their relationship and about these people. And that kind of took me on a very long <laughs> journey to uh, to bring them back to life. Oh, it is fascinating. Wow. So you, you've mentioned that you spent 10 years researching and writing this novel. Can you tell me how you started that process and, and how it unfolded in your mind? Well, I actually heard about the gravestone from um, a professor, uh, chairman of the history department at Tel Aviv University, and one of the world's experts on first century Jerusalem and Josephus. And he was working on a project with academicians, scholars, archaeologists from around the globe to catalog inscriptions of the ancient world. And this was one of the inscriptions that they were working on. So he was the Mm. one that told me about that. And I didn't think I was writing a book in the beginning. I just was very curious. And I asked, um, this professor to please send me some books about it. And I started reading. And as I started learning more about the first century, I just became fascinated. And, um, you know, then when I decided to write a book about it, I, I decided that I wanted to make it, um, very authentic. Um, I love historical fiction and I'm always Mm -hmm. so disappointed after I read historical novel to find out that the author, you know, changed dates and people Mm. and places to fit the story. And I, I felt an obligation to these real life characters to tell their story as accurately as possible. They were real people. And, and the history was so exciting that I didn't really need to embellish it. I didn't feel like I needed to, to change it to make it more exciting. So again, I felt an obligation to my readers to get it right. And also to, uh, you know, as I said, to portray these real life characters as accurately as I could. Um, there's a, obviously a lot in this story that I had to imagine. 
but right. whatever I could know, <laughs> I really wanted to know. And and the other reason I think that it took me so long is I was really working with some of the world's leading scholars and archaeologists, and I knew they would read it. <laughs> so I yeah. I was kind of writing to a very um, for a very discerning audience. Um, Mm-hmm. And that was one of the the reasons as well. Um, so, in terms of the research, my I had kind of three different sources. My uh, the first was that I looked at the ancient sources for uh, life in this time. Um, I used uh, the eyewitness account that we have of this period, which is from a. A Roman historian, a Roman Jewish historian named Josephus. He was my primary mm-hmm. source, and the Gospels, of course, that talked about life in the time of Jesus. Um, yes, and then I looked at uh, a lot of the scholarly research that was done, doctoral dissertations, books. I even read a conference proceeding on first century garbage dumps. <laughs> that was the oh, wow. level of detail that I went down to. You can learn so much about a time period based on or about people and how they live from what they threw out. Um, yeah. And then the archaeology. You know, I live in Israel and mm-hmm. I could walk on the same stones that my characters walked on 2000 years ago and maybe Jesus wow. as well. Um, you know, I could I could see remnants of the temple wall. The you know Western Wall is still there, and that was built at that time. And um, there are excavations going on all the time. Then the last few years, there's just been so much that's been uncovered that adds to our knowledge about what life was like in the time of Jesus in the first century. And I walked all of those uh, archaeological excavations as well. Wow. That must be so amazing to live there in the place where your characters are from and where Jesus walked. Mm -hmm. That's just... Mm -hmm. So it always intrigues me when an author writes a book about real people, how... I mean, you mentioned that you didn't have to embellish the history so how did you decide what would be what to embellish and how much of it? Like, I think I read that um, Josephus is, is a character in your book. Right. Was right. he, was he related to your main character the way that he is in your book or no? Do you, um, or do you not know? Really? No, we don't know, but they both lived in first century Jerusalem. Um, okay. They were in Jerusalem in the years 66, 67, 68. And, they were both from aristocratic families. So it's very likely that they would have known each other. Um, right. Basically, everything that happened in the novel is historically plausible. It could have happened. I'm not saying it mm-hmm. did happen, but it could have happened. All the incidents in the book um, were were from Josephus, different battles, different um mm altercations, the descriptions of the different groups in Israel, uh, in, um, sorry, in Jerusalem that were fighting each other at the time, all of that I took from the history. And then um, my car- I-, I tried to imagine a young woman growing up in that time period when she went out 
the door of her house? What would she have seen? What would the mood of the city have been like? What would people be talking about? Um, so there's a very macro view of history, especially ancient history. You know, we learn about the, you know, sociological big questions, the political causes of, right. In this case, the Jewish revolt against Rome. But I wanted to ask a little question, like, how would all of that have affected my characters? You know, mm-hmm. how, what would it be like to be caught up in that? Um, and then what did they eat for dinner? <laughs> and what did their house look like? So right. I wanted the, the, the answers to the, to the big questions, but also very much the small questions. I think right. uh, when you look at history, through the eyes of one person, and especially a, a person that history has passed over. I mean, there are a lot of forgotten voices in history, um, women, children, slaves. Those are, those are the voices we rarely get to read about. Um, and, and that was where I wanted to shine the spotlight. Right. So I feel like you, you also, you felt it was important to perhaps bring more awareness to the destruction of Jerusalem in the first century and the destruction of the temple. Is that, is that fair? Yeah. It's a, yeah, it's one of the most momentous events, not only in Mm -hmm. Jewish history, um, but in all of human history. I mean, it was a time when the survival of the Jewish people was at stake. The Jews um, of, in a small province, a remote province on the eastern edge of the Roman Empire, the greatest empire the world had ever known with legions of soldiers, a small province rebels. And this is, the Jews had no army. So it was yeah, kind of crazy that they did this. And I, and I was just so curious, why would they have rebelled against the Roman army and think they had a chance mm. of, of winning? And, and it turns out that this is a very important event, not only for, for Jews, but also for Christians. This, the destruction of Jerusalem, as I'm sure mm. you, know, you and your listeners know, was validation or, or proof to many of the people at the time, you know, of G- Jesus's prophecy. And, mm-hmm. um, and it changed the course of human history. It, it changed Judaism from a temple-based religion to uh, a community-based religion around prayer instead of animal sacrifice and different sacrifices. And right. this was the era of you know the evolution of Christianity. I mean, at mm-hmm. this time, the followers of Christ were another, just another Jewish sect. Right, they were Jews. During this time. So it's a shared history. And from these few hundred years, you know, we're still feeling the effects of it in terms of how Judaism looks today and how Christianity looks. So it's a very, uh, it's a very momentous time for, for people. And I don't think many people really, um, know that much about it, even, even though it's so important. And, and you, you know, if you've read the, your holy texts, it's different to look at it from a historical viewpoint rather than a religious viewpoint. And it's just a different, you know, very interesting way to look back at this, at this history. Mm-hmm. Now, just out of curiosity, are you a Christian or I'm a, Jewish. of the Jewish, you're of the Jewish faith? Okay. No, I'm Jewish. Mm-hmm. 
And so it's so interesting that this book has been so popular among Christians. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, you're right. It's a shared history. And it's right. a time of history that I admittedly, I don't know that much about. Although, you know, I've heard about the destruction of Jerusalem in the first mm-hmm. century and the, the destruction of the temple. I have not read a lot about it or or learn much about it. Um I don't think many people I don't think many people do and it's there hasn't been a lot written a lot of good historical well there has been some historical fiction obviously about the 1st century but I, I don't think there's been a lot with this level of historical accuracy and a lot mm. of the historical fiction um has a bit of an agenda you know in terms of um you know, a faith mess message. And, and I didn't really have a message that I was trying to, or it wasn't, a, this isn't a teaching text. I really wanted right. to just take people back in time and let the reader experience what, um, the, my characters experienced, you know, I wanted them to yeah. feel the heat of the stones through their, you know, through their feet and smell the, the burning, you know, the smoke of the, from the sacrifices, the temple. I really just wanted to recreate the city. Um, and also first century Rome, which was a fascinating place. So yeah. I wanted it to be a gripping, a thrilling story as much. I mean, I thought it was a gripping, thrilling story. So I wanted to convey that to the reader. And, um, and there are elements of, you know, I deal with questions of of faith and love and family and kind of big themes, but my purpose wasn't to write a religious text that was masquerading as historical fiction. I really wanted to write just a good historical fiction novel that would appeal to a wide audience. Yes. Well, I think that always makes for a better book. Mm -hmm. And, and the other thing that I thought was really interesting as I got into this time period is how many parallels there are between that period of time and our world today. And it's a little bit sad that there's still this Mm. um, civil discord, you know, and civil war in, in different places around the world. And, fanaticism, um, religious fanaticism and extremism mm. and um, just so many of the the issues, the problems in, in the society at that time between the aristocrats, the wealthier people and the poor people. I mean, so many of the issues that drove the people um, to this desperate state of declaring war on Rome are things that we're still dealing with. And that uh, that was very thought-provoking for me to see that, you know, so much has changed, but, but really so much hasn't. <laughs> yes. Um, so I mentioned earlier that you've received all kinds of accolades for mm-hmm. Rebel Daughter. And most recently, you mentioned to me the book has been nominated for a Christie Award, which is, I mean, it's arguably the most prestigious award for Christian fiction, at least in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, so congratulations, first Thank of all. You. Thank That's you. That's well, amazing. Well, first of all, I haven't won. <laughs> and I'm sure there are wonderful books that are to be nominated well. is still a, a, a great, <laughs> mm-hmm. a great accomplishment. And I just want to know how like, how does all of this feel since the book came out, and it's been getting so much wonderful press? Well, it's great because I've been living with these characters and this story in my mind for so long. Like I said, I worked, I researched and, and you know, 
obsessively <laughs> and kind right. of overkill and overboard for 10 years. And then I waited another two years while the book was in the publishing pipeline. And I only started the book when I turned 50. <laughs> so mm. I didn't expect to be a debut author at, you know, age 61, almost 62. So it's been very exciting. Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, and you haven't always been a writer, obviously. I think your job was a strategy consultant for right. high tech companies. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. So how was it just this story that made you want to be a writer? Have you always loved to write? What was? I the... always did want to write. And um, my husband and I probably 35 years ago published the Boston Ice Cream Lover's Guide <laughs> that was published. And we did, a, we did some mm. writing projects on the side, but basically we've both been in high tech. And I always thought that when I, you know, retired or whatever, I would love to try writing. And then I guess the stars were aligned somehow. And I heard about this story and then I thought, okay, that's the one I want to, I want to write. Um, I always feel like the story found me more than I found the story. And, right. uh, but I always, I always did want to write. I never thought though that, I would write a book. I'm sure many of your listeners know what it's like when you want to pursue any kind of um, creative endeavor as a working mother and with kids, there's always more you can do. And it feels a slightly indulgent to say, oh, I'm going to go paint now or, or write right. or garden or whatever it is, if it's just something for you, because obviously you have no way of knowing or, or you can dream, but to assume that you're going to get something published or you're going to get a show or whatever it is, it always right. feels, I think as women, we, and we feel like we're taking time away from our families to work on our own art, if it's art or writing or whatever the creative pursuit is. And, um, so I think I had a lot of that, you know, that, that prevented me from, um, you know, carving out enough time. There's always another load of laundry you can do. You, know, you can always, <laughs> you can always clean the mold out of the fruit drawer. Uh, you know, and yes. you know, it was hard to say, okay, I am a writer. I deserve this time. I'm gonna, you know, work on this now. And so I had a lot of stolen moments where I worked on this. But the thing is, these stolen moments eventually add up. So, mm -hmm. um, if I have any advice for the younger women out there, I would say you should learn from me and not uh, feel guilty about doing whatever it is that you feel, you know, compelled to do, or you have that calling. And it is important to follow your passions and, and to put yourself first sometimes. And you might surprise yourself like I surprised myself. <laughs> <laughs> right. What a wonderful surprise. And it's also, I mean, I think it's always encouraging that it's never too late. Um, yes. Important. You know, you had, your kids are older now. Mm -hmm. They're grown, right? And mm -hmm. Yes. My um, oldest so you, is 35. My youngest is 20. Um, but when I started, you know, they definitely, you know, needed me at home. And Right. Um, so no wonder it took you 10 years to do. <laughs> I mean, I would think even full time, it could take 10 years to do all the research for this book and, mm -hmm. and write Mm -hmm. write the book as well. Yeah. I went down a lot of rabbit holes with the book and, and I realize now I, you know, maybe part of it was just 
I mean, first of all, it was so fun and so interesting, but I didn't need to research how face cream was made in the first century for two weeks or had a (laughs) scene where I was describing a perfume bottle on the table. And so I went to the Israel Museum and looked at all the glass perfume bottles and how glass was made. And, you know, you, you just start pulling at the thread and then it just became more and more interesting. But at some point it was probably a bit of an excuse not to, um, sit down and, and do the writing. So, uh, right. Another cautionary tale for any would be historical fiction, uh, authors out there. There does come a point when you have to say I've done enough research and now it's time to, to write. That is true. I think it's a, it's difficult. It's a fine line because on the one hand, all that extra research helped you create a really accurate picture um, and a very probably full, vibrant, vibrant picture of life at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, yeah, you have to eventually sit down and do the writing. And in this, the publishing, um, the publishing world today, they expect you to produce a book every year, if mm-hmm. not sooner, <laughs> depending mm-hmm. on the mm-hmm. publisher, I'm sure. Right, right. So, I mean, luckily, I wasn't trying to put food on the table by right. publishing this book. I think that, um, you know, it's it's a lot different if you're really trying to make a living out of being, a, yes. being an author, which I'm not sure very many people can pull off. Right. Yeah, but, usually you have to have multiple streams of income for that. Right. For sure. For sure. Um yeah, it's it's something you do as a I think more of a labor of love rather than, you know, an expectation that um you know, this is going to be, you know, a bestseller and made into a movie and everyone's <laughs> going to be reading it. It's just that's not really very realistic. There's so many books out there and so many right. wonderful books that are being published all the time and it is very hard to rise above the you know, the pack and, and get your book noticed. So that's also been kind of challenging at this phase, just the whole marketing of it, uh, which oh, is yes. not, uh, you know, something that I expected. I, um, you know, I had Random House as my publisher. So I thought, okay, you know, once you have a big publisher, then you, you don't have to do anything. And I realized that was very <laughs> naive as well. So right. I think all authors, no matter, you know, how successful they are just out there really trying to get their book into the hands of readers because there's, mm-hmm. like I said, there's so much. I mean, you, you mentioned earlier when we spoke, you know, your TBR pile is huge and everybody's is huge. So yes. Yeah, that's true. It's a challenge. It's a challenge, but it's exciting and it's fun. Oh, that's good. So what are you working on now? Can you tell us about that? So I have a few ideas. I've always wanted to write a historical novel based on my grandmother's life. She grew up in Charleston, South Carolina with uh, three mm-hmm. sisters. And even before the pandemic hit, I was very I was fascinated by the the flu <laughs> epidemic in 1917 and World mm-hmm. War 1 the beginning of it and i remember this the stories that that she told me uh growing up and what she did with her sisters and i always thought that was such a um a rich time period that i'd like to look into also being from the south um i just i love charleston and um would love to you know dive deep into that history as well 
Okay. So are you in the research process for that? I'm in the sort of, I'm, since now I know that once I fall into the research hole, I probably won't come out for a few years. (laughs) I'd say I'm dancing around the edges, you know, kind of dipping my toe in. I'm reading uh, different things. And and then every once in a while, I think, well, it would just be so much easier if I had another idea of something contemporary (laughs) that I could just write the story. Um, So I I haven't really quite decided yet. But um, okay. You know, I would, I definitely would like to write another book. I, I think it was so much fun, and and now that mm-hmm. I know that that I can do it, <laughs> I am right. more willing to say uh, to the world, now I'm writing. I'm not available. Don't call. I'm, you know, no mm-hmm. carpool. Yes, no whatever. And and like I said, that that's a little bit harder to call yourself a writer when you know you're the only one that's reading anything that you've written. Right. <laughs> so. Um, I feel a little more entitled to, you know, take this time now that it feels more professional, I guess I could say. So um, right. I would like to write another book. And if, I'm even um, speaking with a friend of mine who's an expert on early Christianity, and and she's trying to convince me to write a book about Augustine and the Jews, which is a fascinating mm. story as well. So I'm actually reading about that right now. Um Oh, wow. So there's so many wonderful topics that it's, <laughs> it's hard to just pick one. Yes, I understand that. I have the same problem. <laughs> As you know, probably this is a question I ask all my guests. Mm-hmm. How do you think learning about history through story helps us approach life in the present? And I think you kind of delved into this a little bit before. You know, I think you can't really look at history um objectively, we're always looking through the context of our own world. And that does color the things that we see. Um, But I think that, you know, when you see how, you know, in some ways, the world was so different back then, especially, you know, their belief in in magic, I I have a lot about that in the book that how they explained, Mm -hmm. you know, the world to them was, there was a lot about um, just things that, that make no sense to us today in terms of their beliefs in, in magic and why things happened. And um, slavery was ubiquitous and genocide. And uh, it was just a, a, such a different world. And yet people are the same. Everybody still wants to live their life in freedom and dignity they want to protect mm-hmm. their families. They want to find love. So I think that we can look back at history and say, um, you know, we've come a long way. <laughs> we've we've changed our thinking and we've become more advanced and we have more knowledge today. But people are still people. And we need to be careful because <laughs> things that happened in the past can happen again so e- so easily. And I saw, like I said, I saw so many parallels with um, how the events unraveled and how they affected the everyday person that it's it's almost chilling. And um, I think, you know, we can learn a lot if we're open to it. If somebody's not open to it, they're not going to see it. But if you're open to it, um, there's always so much to learn. Yes, very true. So, Lori, this has been a wonderful conversation. What is the best way for listeners to follow you? 
First of all, it's been a wonderful conversation for me. I love talking oh, about good. the book. My family and is totally sick of hearing about it. So <laughs> when I have somebody new, um, it's just it's really exciting. Um, I have a website, which is lauriekaufman.com. And please look on, um, you can follow me on Goodreads. I have a blog. I'm on Rebel Daughter is the name of the book. And mm-hmm. it's on Amazon and um available in libraries everywhere and in, uh, in bookstores, of course. And I would love if, uh, you know, your listeners would, would look for it. So it's Rebel Daughter and, and Lori Kaufman. I'm on uh, Facebook and Instagram and um, just Google me. <laughs> yes. And I will put um, links to all of that in the show notes. So, mm-hmm. if and I'd love to, to hear from there. any readers. I, I love when people write me, and uh, I've that's been another really exciting kind of fun, unexpected benefit of this is that readers write, and I write back, and I love to hear if the story resonates and how they're using the the book. A lot of um, uh, people are using it in their youth ministries. It's it's a book that appeals to a very wide audience. Uh, Random mm-hmm. House has has positioned it as they call it a YA crossover. Um, even though most of my readers have been, um, I'd say, mature adults who like his- serious historical fiction, it's appropriate for younger readers, and they identify with the younger um, protagonist, uh, feisty young right. woman who's determined to take charge of her own life and. Um, it's a great group read, like because of what you said, that many of the issues the story raises are still very relevant today. So um, I'd love to hear from readers who, if they're having book clubs, I've, I'm happy to zoom into any book clubs. And um, the best way to contact you would be via your website, right? Yes, the website. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's good. I know it's always wonderful to hear from readers and it's a lot of fun. Definitely. Okay, well, thank you so much for being with us today. Okay, thank you so much for having me. I love your podcast, and I can't wait to hear more episodes from other writers. I always learn something. Thank you. Thank you so much. So, my friends, I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. Please do check out the show notes at alisontreat.com slash blog. That's A-L-I-S-O-N-T-R-E-A-T dot com slash blog, B-L-O-G. Not only can you find the link to the Zoom event there, but also I will have links to Lori's books and her um, social media accounts, and you can follow her easily that way. Also, if you want to join our Facebook group, I will have a link to that in the show notes, but it's on Facebook. It's called Historical Fact, Historical Fiction Unpacked Podcast Group. So you can either search it on Facebook and request to join, or you can get to it from the show notes. Um, in addition, if you'd like to join our com- community on Patreon, I would love to have you there. There are some various perks you can get on Patreon, including reviews of some of these books that we talk about on the show. So you can get to my Patreon account at patreon.com slash Treat. And of course, it's linked to in the show notes as well. As usual, if you are enjoying Historical Fiction Unpacked, please subscribe and leave a review. We've had some great reviews lately. Thank you guys so much. Thank you for leaving reviews. Every review helps other fans of historical fiction find the show. 
I also want to bring up something that I have never mentioned on the show before. I mention it in every intro that I am a freelance editor as well as an author. And so I just was thinking how a lot of aspiring writers or even just other authors listen to this show. And if you're looking for editing, I just wanted to let you guys know my my schedule is set for the summer, but I am accepting requests for quotes for the fall so that I can get my schedule for the fall figured out. So if you're interested in getting some editing done, whether that's developmental or copy editing or even proofreading, um, you can email me about that now so that you can get into the fall schedule. And you can request a quote through my website. It's very straightforward on there, alisontreat.com. Now to bring us back to the subject of the book Rebel Daughter um, and the fact that Tisha B'Av, The Day of Mourning is this weekend. Um, I just wanted to let you all know that it is considered the saddest day in the Jewish calendar. And so we want to remember our Jewish friends and their day of mourning this weekend. And also, um, I wanted to share a quote that seemed appropriate considering the topic. It's from Rabbi Menachem Mendel of Kotz. He said, I do not want followers who are righteous. Rather, I want followers who are too busy doing good that they won't have time to do bad. So my friends, Be busy doing good, but also make a little time to read historical fiction. And I will talk to you again next week. 